Welcome to Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. I think I say this is the episode first. Uh, welcome to episode 37 of... Wait. Welcome to episode 37 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. And I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And joining us today for her second visit on our show, we have Sarah Neal. Yay! Would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Or I, we have been reminded that people don't listen to 100% of every episode that we have. I'm Sarah Neal. I am a life, spiritual, and relationship coach. I am also a co-organizer of Agape Atlanta. We work with other local, non-traditional communities to provide and host social networking events so that people can come out in a social atmosphere and show up however they are without the restrictions or the fear of being judged because they don't fit into specific social norms. And if you're in Atlanta, you should definitely check out Agape Atlanta. I I get their newsfeed because I'm friends with Sarah and I wish I could go to a lot of the events, but it is way too much of a drive to make more than once a year for me, maybe twice. It's a little bit of a drive, but we all, you can find us on Meetup. We have a private Facebook group or a secret Facebook group. So they would find you on Meetup and then they would ask you from Meetup to get onto the private group? Yes. They can do that, or they can message me through Facebook at Sarah Marshall Neal, and I can pull them in that way too. Sarah is on the show today to lead a discussion on cheating in polyamorous and non-monogamous communities, yeah? Yes. Is this one of your specialties, or did you just really want to do this topic? I wasn't really clear. A topic I've focused on for a little while. It hits a little close to home mm. for myself. You had a personal experience with this relatively recently, is what we're saying? I'd say relatively recently. It's been a year or so. I think that's pretty recent for something that's this emotionally traumatizing. Mm, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think it's important because when we talk about polyamory, a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's a way to cheat. Mm-hmm. You know, and... <laughs> and no (laughs) no no they do and i'm always like that's yeah yeah so i think that we have this idea that polyamory is maybe we don't have the idea but others have this idea polyamory is the way to cheat the idea is out there at least. but they're not thinking what cheating actually is yes yeah well and that kind of makes sense because part of non-critical monogamy is accepting the rules without necessarily understanding why the rules Mm -hmm. right that's why you often hear people say weird things like it's cheating even if the other person agrees right yeah i have to wonder how that's cheating but i do get that the answer is because cheating in monogamy is strictly predefined Mm -hmm. as sleeping with someone who is not your partner Mm -hmm. or even the emotional cheating right yeah and romantic entanglements we feel this connection we haven't touched each other but that connection is there so and i wanted to so i cheated on you emotionally let me restate that then so cheating is predefined or rather it feels to people in monogamous relationships like it's predefined and most of the stress in monogamous relationships comes from not having a shared definition of cheating to begin with so whether it's physical or emotional and what counts as emotional cheating and what counts as physical cheating and Mm -hmm. what i've learned is that particularly in polyamorous relationships or open relationships cheating isn't about the sex because in most cases i think If you want to engage in a sexual relationship with someone, you talk with your partner and all the communication goes on and you can pursue. And I think it most cheating, even in monogamous relationships and polyamorous relationships, especially comes more from this. It's not about it's not just about the sex. I think it's more about control or deception or them feeling 
that something's wrong and not knowing how to fix it. I have to, I'm not 100% disagreeing with you, but, and I've said this before on the show, but there are some pretty good research that says that when men cheat, and this is monogamous research, of course, because that's what we have, mm-hmm. they cheat mostly because they had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And women tend to cheat when they've been unhappy in a relationship for a year or more. I could see that, yeah. So fast. I didn't know that statistic. That's not a 100%, you know, obviously not, no statistic is for everybody, but that's the bulk. So that would tend to indicate that men are more likely to be cheating for the sex or what the sex represents, I think, is what that sort of tells me, if that makes sense. Because men will, are, are in those studies have been shown to cheat regardless of their happiness level. I'd say that's a reasonable inference. I agree, especially in the monogamous cultures. But if you have in a polyamorous relationship... Well, you would think that. Absolutely, you would think that, but... Unfortunately, I don't think that's always the case. So I think the, you know, the at least two of the people that have I've been on either one side or the other of the friendship talking about who have been in polyamorous relationships when someone has cheated, uh, both times, the only thing that they couldn't have had without having a discussion with their partner was the sex. And in both cases, their partners would have just said no to the sex that they've been asked. So the entirety of the cheating was just to get the sex they wouldn't have gotten if they'd asked. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying that's the only reason people cheat in poly. It's not even the majority reason. I'm just saying it is still a common reason in polyamory is if you think your partner wouldn't let you be with that person. Right. Or would if your partner had certain guidelines that you just decided just to care or you were trying to make the relationship look a little less significant than it was. Sure. So, Michael, the reason you just gave, I totally lost it in my mind, but I wanted you to kind of expand on that a little bit. We restate it so that I can remember what my thought was. The thought is that in the examples that I have had firsthand knowledge with, I think that Sarah is actually gesturing at what more common cheating in polyamory is, but she said isn't, and I just wanted to say, but this also does happen. It wasn't to disregard her primary line. It was like, but people do cheat just for the sex sometimes in polyamory when they already know their partner would say no because of one thing or the other. I agree with you completely. But as you mentioned before about the definition of cheating, sure. for some people that's in mononormative or monogamous relationships, that could be exchanging text with someone and keeping it from your partner. And that could be in a poly relationship too, if your agreement included pure transparency. Exactly. And sex hadn't even happened. Sure. And it may not even happen. Yeah, no, for sure. And so I probably minced my own definition. But to say someone cheated on me, it doesn't always mean someone had sex with someone else behind your back. Mm-hmm. So then would a, an appropriate common definition of cheating be breaking the rules? I mean, I've heard that being used as this is what cheating means or this this defines cheating. Well, that's the definition of cheating writ large, right? Like you, you cheated at a board game if you broke the rules. That's my thought. Mm-hmm. So then I guess in this sense, what is defined as cheating if it's not that? Can we find a definition that we can work with or is there a definition? And I think that's part of the question is it but I see cheating as when you're doing something that you wouldn't tell your partner about that you were deceiving your partner about. So it's a secretive when you start like feeling secretive about it, that's cheating essentially. Is that my understanding that right? I feel that if you're not comfortable telling your partner about whatever you're doing with someone else that's in cheating. a potentially romantic relationship, okay. it can be construed as cheating. I'm have to push back on that for just a second. Push back on it. It's okay. I do think that you're never going to get a better definition for cheating than breaking the relationship agreement. Okay. I think that in situations where you had do not have an experience 
explicit relationship agreement, which monogamous or non-monogamous, you should have an explicit relationship agreement. Yes. You are not on the same page if you have not sat down together and decided what your relationship looks like. I promise you, no matter how close you think you are, it's different. Right, because of the diversity of backgrounds, no one's the same. So I think that that's going to be what cheating is, but people who don't think about relationships as being laid out and defined by the two people in them will often think it's someone violating what they would have said if they'd been asked to make a relationship contract with no pushback at all. In a real relationship contract, you might be like, well, I think it's cheating if you text and don't show me. And they might say something like, well, I want to honor the privacy of some of my other partners. So I'm going to need you to agree to allow me to have text with partners that I don't show you unless I get the other partner's permission or something like that, right? So you might not end up with what your ideal would be right? because it's an agreement that you come to together. But mm -hmm. if you don't ever have that discussion, then you think anything that violates your ideal agreement ends up being cheating. And it's an ideal agreement you've never shared with the other person. And that's why it gets so bad so fast when you don't actually discuss what you need to do. Right. But my pushback to Sarah Neal's statement was, and I'm sorry if last names are clunky, but it's going to be a lot easier. No, it's okay. <laughs> than, yeah, than saying it. Sarah's statement because then no one knows who I'm talking about right was that there are relationship structures like I just noted anonymity for instance so I've done things with a partner and then another partner's been like hey can you tell me what you did with them and I'm like ooh, I don't think I can because that would violate their sense of privacy yeah I totally agree with you on that but if I don't know you're talking to someone else or that relationship is even in the works Sure. You know, whether I know the person or not, whether you disclose, that's fair. What you're saying is fair because you are protecting privacy of another partner. But mm -hmm. if I don't even know that you have that partner or I don't even know that you're talking with someone as a potential partner, that sets off alarm bells for me. But that's part of your agreement though, right? Because again, to push back, there are people in don't ask, don't tell agreements where it's their goal for you not to tell them that there's potential partners on the horizon or what you're doing with other partners or where you've been tonight. Agreed. Agreed. And if your agreement says you don't tell me, it just ends up being what your agreement is. I agree. I think that that breaking the rules, not playing by the rules of your relationship is fair. What I hear you saying, and I could be wrong, is that also sometimes your intuition tells you when you're in an area that's technically gray, but really is rule breaking. Yes. You said you feel uncomfortable. Like I'm doing something and I feel uncomfortable. It's not technically against the rules. But you know... <laughs> We don't exactly want to tell our partners because we're afraid of the effect it's going to have on us or we're afraid of the effect that it's sure. going to have on mm -hmm. our partners and on the relationship. Because obviously an explicit rule breaking is definitely cheating. Right? So yes. if you have a rule that says you tell people when you're interested in someone else, like rule that I have in my relationships for a long time is if you have an interest in someone new, you tell me. Just so I know, right. you know, to prepare for a disruption, basically, or potential disruption. Right, right. I'm a really yeah. big planner. I just need to know that somebody is on the sidelines. <laughs> so how right. that's yeah. going, you I like... Yeah, absolutely. I too appreciate that kind of rule. And that's the one that I tend to set up when the relationships is like, okay, well, this is something that I appreciate. So I'm going to do this for you. Mm -hmm. I like that rule. So then rule skating looks like, well, am I really interested in this person? I'm not sure. Right. Are we flirting? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But you know that the reason you're not telling someone really is you don't want it to cause a fuss. Right. Right. That is right up our existentialist alley, by the way. That is a wonderful example of inauthenticity. 
authenticity. Mm-hmm. That self-lying where you can, you know you're lying, but you're sort of pretending mm-hmm. to yourself that you're not lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, just to know that there's a potential there. And if my partner goes, hey, I'm interested in this person. I don't know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I just want to let you know there's this potential. Yeah. yeah. I do that a lot and then nothing happens. <laughs> If I find out later on that my partner's already engaged with this person mm-hmm. and I didn't even know they were on the horizon, then that to me is a deception. Sure. Yeah. I should also separate what I would call my best practices. Obviously, I think there's a lot of ways to do relationships, but there are certain things in relationships that I wouldn't advise people to do, even though there are people doing it who seem very happy and very successful in it. For example, monogamy. Mm -hmm. There are people who are very happy and very successful with that, but I wouldn't open with someone going, what kind of relationship do you think I should have? I would not be like, monogamous as a starting point. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm with you, but yeah, following. That's how I feel about a lot of the things that I just stated, like don't ask, don't tell are not my starting point. They may work Mm-mm. for you. You may have worked that out in your relationship, but it's definitely not what I would call my starting point. And there's a lot of ethical quandaries there. Like there's no way to verify in a don't ask, don't tell that the person you're dating is not cheating. So like I don't date people who are in don't ask, don't tell relationships, for instance. Agreed. Because for me personally, I need to know that I know that they're not cheating. Well spoken. 100%. <laughs> and, you know, again, I know people who are very happy in them and that are very successful in them and they're not cheating. And I know that both people are, are doing well, but because I'm not dating either person, I can know both people and know they're going well. Mm-hmm. Also know people who have been told they were in a don't ask, don't tell relationship with a, their, their partner was and later found out that that was not the case. Yeah. That, that person was just cheating and saying they were in a don't ask, don't tell relationship. Ooh. Lots of nastiness right yeah. there. And I do think that is sometimes what people mean when they say, like, Polly is just an excuse for cheating, is they think you're in some kind of relationship like that. Mm. My response is always, well, my partners would be happy to talk to you about this. And <laughs> I never thought of that. I got into a debate with a friend of mine. He's a gay man, and he didn't see the problem at all with dating men who were in heterosexual monogamous marriages. In his idea, that allowed them to continue to be good husbands and good providers. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) And all that for his friends. But then couldn't see why I had a problem with that, but I didn't have a problem with polyamory. I was like, yeah, but it's all out in the open. (laughs) We know what's going on, who's sleeping with who. We know the safety precautions and there's not the lying going on. I was thinking that like there is this unwritten rule in our society, um, which those who, what did Michael say, do critical monogamy or any critical relating at all, tend to put like into an actual verbal agreement or even a written agreement that there is the sense of betrayal if you don't know what's happening with the other person's emotions, that the transparency is supposed to be there, which is very good and healthy. And so like it just, it blows my mind that people feel that someone can be in a healthy relationship without being transparent. But again, as Michael said, like sometimes the don't ask, don't tell is great, but the betrayal that's that's inherent with finding out is not in polyamory if people are truly not cheating in polyamory. So it's... Yeah, I guess that's the uh, part of the piece that's different, right? I agree. I agree. I think it's that that part of, well, I know you have these emotions or these feelings or desires around this individual, and I'm okay mm-hmm. with that because we've decided that's okay. Right. As opposed to thinking my husband or my partner is being loyal to me and is not having other feelings towards anybody else. And is transparent about it. Yeah. Yep. And then to find out that they are actually engaged in another relationship with someone else. Right. So it was a little, little, it was a heated discussion. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like I, ugh, gosh, I, I hate when, when somebody comes along and they're like, I just want to cheat with you. And it's like, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's not what Dude. I do. Stop it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Exactly. Exactly. So we lost Michael. Yeah, I was about around, to say, so we lost Michael. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think we got some good content. I think so too. Hello, sorry. Oh, okay. hi. Cool. Hi. We missed you. Welcome back. And that is really interesting. I think the distinction there is how they viewed monogamy in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, what was your view of your parents' relationships growing up, right? So if your parents were, for example, cheating on each other and you were aware, or if you had, and I would call this a realistic view, and we've, we've talked before about how something like 40% of people in monogamous relationships, somebody's cheating. So mm-hmm. if you take the view that monogamy includes a type of cheating, like you think, I mean, in the 50s, right, that was sort of almost an accepted view for most people, right, that monogamy... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. had some cheating in it but you didn't but getting caught was sort of the problem mm-hmm. right because that made the other person feel bad or the wife would ignore it too right that even if they mm-hmm. knew they would sort of pretend they didn't know and as long as it wasn't mm-hmm. public or made obvious that they knew then it wasn't a problem it just depends on what cultural group you were from so i mean i can see how that happens because again people in sort of the hegemonic normal normative culture believe that there's one story so if the one story that that guy knows is is that monogamy includes cheating sometimes and that if those people were to try and date somebody else to get their needs met they would lose their partners which would mean they would lose their kids potentially and Mm -hmm. their families would fall apart and if they've drunk some of the kool-aid around the nuclear family being wonderful for family rearing Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you can see how uh, there's this ethical balancing act that starts coming into play right so if nuclear families are the most important thing for life and kids and there are people who are married to women but also want to date men Mm -hmm. then the only way for that need to be met without destroying the family is secretively yeah if that pattern holds then that makes sense to them but then they want to know why you have a problem with one but not the other right and in that normative sense in that hegemonic mythology that they've purchased or bought into or been taught scripted they have been told that sleeping with someone else and Telling the other person, your partner, about it is the most insulting thing you can do. So you're over here doing the most insulting thing that you can do, judging them for doing something that's normal and very standard. Mm -hmm. And from their perspective, that's very confusing. For me, that kind of differentiates the ethics of it. And I see what you're saying. If that's what they're brought up to believe, that's what the culture and all that. But if you're the other person who has no clue what's going on and didn't necessarily agree, that person thought that when they took those vows that their person was going to love and be with only them. Sure. Whereas opposed to a polyamorous relationship, it's understood that other people can and will be involved. So for me, what I was trying to get to him is if I was sitting in the place of the wife, Mm-hmm. And I thought my husband was being true to the vows and those promises and those rules that we made. Mm-hmm. And then was to later find out that he wasn't. That, that, that's problematic for me. That's a big problem. I, I mean, I agree. That's a problem. And, you know, there are people for who it's not, of course. But the problem is that the way that it's set up is that you've never had that conversation. Right. Because you're never going to have the conversation, hey, would you rather know or not know if I cheated on you? Mm-hmm. Because right. that conversation <laughs> sounds like the other person freaking out and assuming you're cheating on them constantly no matter what you are or are not doing. Because that is a yes, weird question right. to ask if you are not already cheating on someone. And so that's... Mm-hmm. 
that's the problem there is it denies the other person their agency and their consent and it treats them as an object of some variety okay have i done hegemony yet i don't think i've done hegemony let's take a minute and do hegemony for a second do you guys know what the hegemony is what's hegemony i no (laughs) good I'm at some point going to do a whole episode on this, but the really short version is, you guys have heard that America's an oligarchy, right? You know what oligarchy is? No. All right, let's start an oligarchy and move forward. <laughs> I remember hearing the word, but I don't remember. So an, an, an oligarchy is like a multiple monarchy. So instead of having a monarchy, which is one person, mon, you have an oligarchy, which is group of people who are in charge. Got it. So America is an oligarchy where the 1% are basically the oligarchy, mm-hmm. right? So the that 1% of people okay. who have so much money, they can buy senators, gets to tell the country what to do. Yep. Instead of having Mm -hmm. actual democracy. Right. Yeah. And it's a modified oligarchy because obviously if people, like, enough people are upset enough, then the oligarchs end up deciding to vote for what they want, which in turn causes the senators to vote for what they want. Which I guess is still an oligarchy, because if you upset a a monarchy enough... Uh I'm still controlling it. Well, the hegemony is the idea that the monoculture or the central culture or normative culture is not a single object. It's actually an alliance of important cultural groups who together make up enough power to control the culture. It was introduced to explain how capitalism continues to survive because hegemony is originally a, a term from Marxism. Marxism claims that eventually the capitalist society will always collapse on itself because people will feel too oppressed and they will revolt and yet we didn't see that happen and we didn't see that happen and we didn't see that happen and we didn't see that happen so we needed a philosophical theory to explain how you can have heavily oppressed groups who keep not revolting and what they came up with was the hegemony and the idea there is when a group becomes big enough and scary enough to be important you just offer something to integrate them into the culture so a good example of this is and we've talked about this before without using the explicit language when slavery ended and large numbers of of blacks moved to New York City and, you know, the northern cities generally. Chicago and California. Yeah, at the time they moved up, Irish and Scots were not considered white. Mm -hmm. They were considered a savage race. You can read about the English talking about going through the countryside and seeing them and likening them to gorillas or monkeys. Right. And when all of the freed slaves moved north, suddenly there were so many people between the Irish, the Scots, and the freed slaves that they were unionizing, they were gathering, and they were threatening to have a revolt for being so oppressed. So what happened was that the white people in power went to the Scots and the Irish and they said, how about we make you count as white people and you ally with us against the black people? So they absorbed that important social brick to stop that revolution from happening went out and went, ooh, you're too powerful. Come join us. A modern day version of this, which is an interesting critique, is the gay marriage movement. Mm-hmm. So you've had the you know monogamy and a heteronormative group for a long time running the hegemony, but monogamous gay couples became socially powerful enough with enough social capital to cause an actual problem. So rather than allowing them to continue to be outside of the hegemony and joining with and participating with other groups like polyamorous groups, non-monogamous groups, they said, we'll let you join as long as by joining you agree to be just like us so the kind of joining we're offering you is gay marriage not multiple marriage not mm-hmm. you know anything else and your marriage has to look as much like our marriage as it possibly can in order for us to offer it to mm-hmm. you right and so that's the hegemony adjusting itself to stay in power the thing that's interesting is people
people think that they actually have a monoculture, but they actually have this hegemonic culture, and that's what causes those misunderstandings or distinctions where this guy thinks all people know that they're probably going to get cheated on and would rather not be cheated on, and it's an implicit implied contract that everyone has agreed to because that's what culture looks like. Right. But doesn't realize that that's just one facet of this really mixed hegemonic structure of people coming from all different backgrounds and spaces that were each important enough to get included into this major brick of cultural grouping. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel it's very useful information that allows us to understand the intricacies and the depth of our society and how it rules us. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think that it's also very misogynistic because it's always been if it's the husband who cheats and is discreet enough it's okay but definitely the wife should not but does your friend feel that way or does your friend think that wives should cheat too if they want oh i'm sure he thinks they cheat regardless but i don't like we didn't get that far in that conversation well and this is one of the major critiques of monogamy that we've mentioned before is that when even when people say monogamy's worked forever which obviously it's only been even the dominant form of marriage in some parts of the world for a relatively short time mm-hmm. during that time only women were ever monogamous right men yeah. were not culturally monogamous you don't see cultural shared monogamy until women's liberation that part of the women's lib movement was well marriage has to be the same but they didn't make it the same by giving women the right to go out and be with other partners they made it the same by taking away everybody's right to be with other partners right and i think that was definitely a mistake (laughs) (laughs) a little bit yeah (laughs) and that's not an original thought i read that in one of the books that i read i can't remember which one now but i do think there are now people who understand that cheating is still happening in monogamy and who also have really internalized fairness because one of the really interesting statistics is that cheating is on the rise in america but the primary change in cheating is that women's cheating is now rivaling men's cheating I could believe that. Right, so 40 years ago, women's cheating would have been very low by comparison. Yep. Okay. 60, 70, 80 years ago, very low by comparison. Like, you know, you look at the 50s. (laughs) Your social network was very limited especially as a woman sure if you're a stay-at-home wife you know your friends with their neighbor lady next door or down the street what your your social interactions were very limited on top of those ideas of the woman's place yeah i don't think it was the social interaction limiting that was doing the job i think it was the fact that men owned you that once you got married the the husband literally owned you that was stopping women from cheating because if they were divorced they lost everything agreed so i want to know because there are two there are a few different schools about if your partner cheats Mm -hmm. do you get rid of them right away because once they're a cheater is always a cheater you know like Mm -hmm. images of friends going no you know you can't stay with them because they're always going to cheat on you or you know you stick through it because you made that commitment you know going back into previous years if i made that commitment i know my partner's been unfaithful but I'm going to continue with this relationship because that's what I'm about to do. And then I think there's also the school of, well, it kind of depends on the situation. So should I stay or should I go can be impacted by outside influences, but then also internal influences. I think you have to look at the degree of that cheating because I think that part of me at one point was always like, well, if somebody cheats on me, that's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I can't handle that deception yeah i've never been cheated on but that was definitely my thought for a long time Mm -hmm. but i feel like at this stage if my partner that i've been with for 10 years cheated on me i might have to revise that sentiment not that that's suggesting that course of action but i don't know how to imagine not being with them 
So I would certainly explore the possibility of fixing that. Yes. On a personal note, I don't recall ever being cheated on. If I, if I did, it was not a, a large transgression. But maybe I'm weird in this, but my thought is if I find out someone's cheating, it's just like, okay, so add them to the circle. Like, I, I'm mad at you for, like, not being transparent with me, but just, like, just tell me next time and we can figure this out. Although I think you have said before that you use barrier protection for 100% of the sex that you have. For the most part, yeah. I mean, if I get very close to a partner, then I allow for non-barriered sex, but... I think that's a huge difference. I feel like if a non-barriered sex partner was cheating on you, especially not using barriers with the person they are cheating on you with... Yeah, that'd change things for me. That'd be a very different response. That is a very good point. Yeah, absolutely. I think it depends on the individual situation. Like, how serious. That's a very safety, health Mm -hmm. concern. So I would handle that differently versus my partner going off and having sex with someone or breaking the rules, but was safe about it. And that's a very big consent issue, right? Because Mm -hmm. I did not choose to sleep with someone who'd been sleeping with somebody else without protection. Right. Whereas if we're using all barriers all the time, then we're all, I mean, it's not, it doesn't really change the equation any. Like I was using barriers so I Mm -hmm. wouldn't have to risk infection. And then you went out and did some stuff, which is why I use barriers. That definitely falls more into the, that's just ludicrous. Why did you bother camp? I think cheating is like non-monogamy in the sense that there's a million different ways to do it. And that Mm -hmm. each of those has to be addressed differently and, based on what works for you right like i think there are other things you have to take into consideration like has this happened before is this a regular problem or is it been once in 10 years well and that's a good point too you talk about cheating via texting and not telling someone if right my partner was having a huge crush on someone and have been like seriously hardcore texting them technically a violation of one of our more minor rules that definitely wouldn't even come up to me to be like well we're done like right. that would be like all right let's exactly. talk about yeah. that but if she then went out and like had sex with that person i didn't even know they existed then that would be really hard but i don't know what i would do in that context well i mean i do know what i would do i would have to talk to them about it and i i would have to sort through that information and see what judgment call i could make but yeah but you wouldn't know what what call you would make with the just those i would need a lot more information right also i think something to chew on as well and consider is was there any remorse when this was uncovered Mm -hmm. i guess that's relevant i mean did your partner like oh you know what you're right I'm sorry, that was wrong, that wasn't okay. What can I do to help build the trust back? I feel like... I almost feel like remorse can be faked easily. Oh, yeah. 100%. So I don't know that I would trust that. If I if I was in a situation where my partner had cheated and I felt like they felt remorse, that could be my perception of the situation because I don't want the relationship to end. Or it can just be that they don't want to deal with whatever consequences could be faced in that moment, so they want to feel remorseful. Right. I'm not even really worried about people faking remorse so much as... I don't remember the exact number now, but I read a statistic that was an interview cheaters and it was like 90% it was crazy high of cheaters feel really terrible while they were cheating like they literally remember being sort of miserable with the level of remorse they were processing while they were cheating Interesting. so you can know that you're doing the wrong thing and even feel terrible about it even while you're doing it and still do the wrong thing because it doesn't necessarily get at the root of why you're doing the wrong thing 100% agree but I also think that there's the remorse of oh I feel really bad because I got caught or I feel really bad because I betrayed my partner's trust. That's what I'm saying. People who weren't even being caught while they were cheating felt bad about betraying their partner's trust. Absolutely. 
and even Absolutely. responded that they didn't really enjoy the cheating. Like when people would say like, did you enjoy cheating? They'd be like, no, because I felt so terrible the whole time. So horrible. Right. But yet that doesn't stop them from doing it. But I do agree that if they have no remorse, they gotta go. <laughs> like that's yeah. at least a, that's at least a dead giveaway the other direction. If they're like, so what? I deserve that. I should have that. Then you gotta be like, oh, cool. <laughs> Maybe this won't work. Looking forward. Yeah, no. All of this is to help you decide, okay, do I bolt out the door? Do I stay and try to work this out? Like, how do they respond when they get caught? And also, part of it, too, is if my partner's apologizing, but making me feel bad because they cheated, you know, the whole gaslighting mm-hmm. idea and blaming me for their cheating or their bad decisions and all, all that, but still apologizing. That's a red flag. Yeah. That's another thing to look at as well is, you know, if they're apologizing, how are they apologizing? Are they making you feel bad for their actions or are they actually owning it? Yeah, I screwed up. How do we fix it? what's going on. And, you know, but at the same time, there are some, and Michael's probably going to argue with me with statistics. Like I think, (laughs) I think there's, there's always a little more reason to cheat. It's usually deeper, I think, than the sex. And it may be because of the woman aspect of I'm unhappy versus the opportunity for it. But I always feel that, or I have felt for a long time that if someone's cheating, it's a symptom of a deeper problem. If you feel that you can't be honest with your partner, particularly in a polyamorous relationship, if you feel like you can't be honest with your partner, then the cheating might be a symptom of that. Mm -hmm. You can tell by some of the things I said that outside of statistics, I don't exactly have the most knowledge of like firsthand knowledge of cheating. The only times that I have not thought about cheating, but well, I guess, I mean, you know, one of your definitions, at least I was cheating for a while because I had a, I had a partner back when I was monogamous who was hyper easily jealous and she was constantly accusing me of cheating on her and thinking she was catching me in lies when I would just remember stuff that I'd forgotten. Like, oh yeah, I went out to eat with my friends yesterday. Mm -hmm. You didn't tell me, is that because you were cheating? Or like she found a receipt to a Mexican restaurant a couple days in a row and was like, so every time I leave here, you go to the same Mexican restaurant. Who are you meeting there? Is there a waitress you think's hot? And I was like, yeah, it was very toxic. But at a certain point, there was a girl that was interested in me who I did find very attractive. And just to sort of, in a sense, prove a point to myself, I spent a lot of time with that person as a friend and actually did try and hide it. And it was 100% successful. It was the only time my partner wasn't mad at me. Hmm. But all those times that she was pissed at me for cheating was just me being honest and not having any other interests. And the one time I had another interest, that was, I never got in trouble then because I just lied because I lied about it. Mm. It was very easy to do. You know, like that was the whole thing that was frustrating to me is that she felt like she was some sort of magical super sleuth like the way that relationships work is you trust me and i don't cheat on you mm-hmm. like that's how relationships work you know and if you don't trust me as we said before like if you don't trust your partner you need to do something because either the relationship's bad because they are cheating on you mm-hmm. or the relationship's bad because you have a trust problem right but Agreed. either way you need to like go to counseling go to therapy get help reassess yeah, reassess the situation because something is wrong. Right, exactly. Like something's got to change. Whatever it is that's going on, obviously something has to change if you're behaving like that. Really the question that I would ask if I was cheated on and I would suggest people ask is, we talk about this language of healthy and unhealthy. So I would ask, is the situation still healthy for me? Yes. And can mm-hmm. I make the situation healthy somehow? Right. Mm-hmm. So in cases where a partner and I have disagreed on what counts as safe sex, for instance, I don't necessarily automatically break up with the other person. I'll just be like, well, then I need to step back 
back into a more safe sexual stance with you, which is either barrier protection or no right. sex or yeah. you know, whatever it is to make me feel safe again. And if the thing the person has done, I can't feel safe about, then I, that's when I know I have to break up with them. Or if I feel like my relationship is no longer helping me, like not net happiness for my relationship. Those are the two things that I would use or recommend people use to try and decide if they want to work out cheating or walk away from cheating. Which leads into my next point, which is, does your partner give you the space and time to figure out and sort through your own feelings around it and to decide whether that's something you want to work through or leave behind, especially when we're caught doing something wrong or we've caused pain. Our immediate reaction isn't always to let the person we caused pain to, to actually sit and sort through all their emotions. And I think it's very important that in any context, if we've caused harm to someone after we've apologized or owned it or said, what can we do to make it feel better, to make this better, to try to heal this relationship is to take that step back, actually give them the time and the space that they need to work through that. Right. And I think that if they're a little more hesitant to give you that space or they ride you to hurry up and process all of that stuff for me is a red flag. I mean, especially if you basically tell them that's what's happening mm -hmm. and they still do it because in my experience, our culture says you never need to learn how to have a relationship. People just know how to do it without right. any effort at all. By extension, most people are actually incredibly terrible at communicating, at having healthy communicating habits, at having healthy coping strategies. <laughs> Like most people are just really bad at being social human beings <laughs> and being ethical while being social human beings. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I allow at least for that original pushback where the person says, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to decide? What are you going to do? And I might be like, mm -hmm. hey, I hear that you're really anxious now because you're scared you're going to lose something very important to you, which is great and all, but I'm the person that needs to process this. And yes. if you keep pushing me, I'm going to break up with you no matter what happens. Yes. So you need to give me the time and the space to do that. Absolutely. And then if they keep doing it, one, you warn them so it makes it easier for you to make that mental disconnect and go, okay, they don't yep. care about what I want. You know, and that might be your second layer. If they keep doing it, it might say something like, hey, it's now starting to feel like you don't even care how this affected me or what I want or what I need when I'm the one that's hurting right now. Exactly. I need you to stop pushing me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to have to break up with you anyway. That's generally my rule is I try and give people two or three or four explicit stated explanations of how their behavior is negatively affecting me and why it's unacceptable. And then if they keep doing it, then I break up with them. That's reasonable. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm surprised. There's a certain point in my life when I was younger that I would have thought that by doing that, you would allow people to just take advantage of you from ever, forever. Turns out most people are not actually capable of not doing whatever bad thing it is they're going to do over and over again. And that's okay. I mean, that plays into what we said about people not being good or evil. They just have problematic scripts that are either damaging in and of themselves or are just damaging for you. So a lot of times it's just a compatibility issue. It's not even that person's bad. It's just they're bad for you. Yes, I agree. But that is for sure true. I mean, obviously, if you feel abused or victimized, you should leave the relationship even if there's no cheating. So if there's mm -hmm. gaslighting, you should yep. be out anyway. But if there's cheating followed by gaslighting about cheating, you've just got warning signs on top of warning signs. Maybe just exactly. run. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's time to go. <laughs> right. I think part of it, too, is we don't always think about the amount of work it can take to earn back trust mm -hmm. from someone. Yes. So with me in particular, I am loyal almost to a fault. And once you break that trust with me or the trust that I have in you, 
you've got to be, you, you've, you're going to have to do the work to earn that trust back. And so is your partner willing to put in that work and work with you to try to earn that trust back? See, my problem is I can't comprehend cheating. And so if someone cheats on me, I have no metric for understanding how they would repair that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the reason I've always said that if you cheat on me, I'm just gone. Obviously, I said, you know, that probably wouldn't be true with my partner who I have now two, almost two children with and an entire life with, I, I would have to do more than just ghost. Right. Yeah. But you'd have to be really close to that level of investment for me for my response not to be, I guess we're friends now. Because I just, yeah. I can't, I don't know how you would ever do that to the point that I know that it happens, but the behavior is so incomprehensible to me. I think you need to start over with a new person that trusts you. Like I'm never going to be able to trust you again. And maybe that's just me. And that's part of knowing yourself. Because part of what works for me is trying to understand people right and if i can't understand you at such a fundamental level then unless i'm incredibly committed to this relationship i I mean obviously part of being poly for me is believing that there's many potentially good loves out there Mm -hmm. so i don't know why i would put more time into someone that i don't know if i can trust and i feel like they would have a healthy relationship starting over with somebody who doesn't already not trust them yeah i see exactly what you're saying i absolutely see what you're saying And, and i think it's For me, it's more of the investment with the individual. How much time have we invested into each other? You know, Mm -hmm. if we're married with kids or, you know, that sort of thing. Like, are you going to do the work that I need you to do and Mm -hmm. that I need to do myself to earn back that trust? Or are you going to automatically say, I said, I'm sorry, I gave you time, just get over it. You know, in part of that processing of sorting out how we're feeling about the situation as the one being cheated on is Mm -hmm. part of deciding what it is you need your partner to do, or if there's anything your partner can do to start earning that trust back. And that may be baby steps. That may be like, you know what, I need us, I need you to not start dating anybody else for a while. Or I, you know, let me clarify Mm -hmm. on the communication I need from you if you start Mm -hmm. with someone else. Sure. And the partner being okay with understanding that trust needs to be earned back. And on the flip coin, though, too, is the part, you know, the person who cheated, if you've given that partner space and you're doing everything you can to earn that back and you can't earn that trust back, then I think it's okay to say, you know, I'm doing everything I can to earn your trust back. Clearly you're having a hard time with this. So then yes, maybe we need to go our separate ways Mm -hmm. so we can start over. Don't think because you've cheated, you have no value. Exactly. Like just because you have made a mistake, you are still a person that needs to not be abused and people, you know, can basically be abusive as a coping mechanism that they feel really hurt by you. So they want to hurt you and they're dragging you along, not because they really mean it, not because they're going to ever be able to forgive you, but because they're mad at you. Yes. And so you should do the same kind of evaluation, you know, if you're, if you, one, you should do the same kind of evaluation if you are cheating and say, why am I cheating? Am I really happy in the relationship that I'm in if I'm doing this? Mm -hmm. If I am happy in that relationship, is there a way that I can integrate the wants that I have that I'm currently fulfilling through cheating while being with that person? If not, can I break up with them and eventually find someone who will allow me to do the things that I want to do without it being cheating? Right. Exactly. There's something wrong in your relationship if you feel the need to cheat if you're in a non-monogamous relationship already. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Because I, I will agree with Sarah on that, Sarah Neal on that mark, which is there's definitely something 
maybe you haven't figured out what or why or even haven't said it out loud, but there's something wrong in the relationship if you are allowed to be non-monogamous and you're still cheating. And I think that what you're going to find is if that's the case, the rules that you have are restrictive enough to be providing similar problems to monogamy. So I said, like, people will cheat in order to get sex they're not allowed. But by not allowed, I mean would count as cheating, the person would leave you, etc. So if you have rules that are so restrictive in your relationship, which I've seen non-monogamous couples with rules so restrictive, they might as well be monogamous. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever dating anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can be non-monogamous and still feel the urge to cheat because it's just... And there's, like, such subtle versions. Like, you can create... You could just create work. Like, sometimes it's not even against the rules to date anybody, but you have to do so much work to get approval to date somebody that the idea is exhausting beyond reason and makes the the endeavor not even feel fun. And so then you end up cheating because you just think about having to do that paperwork. It's like taxes. Mm -hmm. You don't pay your taxes sometimes because you're just like, that's so much work to fill out the paperwork. It's not like you wouldn't just hand... Like, if someone popped up and was like, you owe this much, you'd be like, cool. (laughs) But, like, having to do all the paperwork and the math for it, you're like, ugh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... For me, particularly in non-monogamous relationships, it's an indicator that something isn't right and that you both need to try to work your way to the core of what's going on. But at the same time, both people need the chance and opportunity to process on their own as far as what's going on with the relationship and how are we going to deal with it? Is it because of some other stresses that have to do with the relationship, but maybe not because... I don't think you love me enough or I don't think I have the freedom that I want. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are other factors, you know, it could be just stress and, you know, dealing with finances or children or work or what have you. And then feeling old. Yeah. (laughs) Just that somebody young is attracted to you might be so exciting. Yes. And then, so, you know, it's, I think there are multiple, multiple reasons for cheating. And I think that as with, most any relationships and most any problems within relationships you have to get down to the nitty-gritty to figure out where the nucleus of that problem is i think this is one of those episodes where as we're getting through it i'm going all right we're at like nearly two hours of tape maybe an hour and a half hour 45 minutes of tape so we gotta stop but we haven't even like scratched the surface i realized we could probably do the entire beginning episode just on why sometimes people cheat yeah and then we could do Mm -hmm. a whole other section of the episode on how to deal with it from one side how to deal with it from another side Yeah, there's so many facets. So I think this is the one we're just gonna have to keep coming back to. We're gonna have to do another episode on it at some point and do more. So let's do some quick high level takeaways for this. From a paraphrase back what I heard, and then you guys tell me if there were some more takeaways that are important that I missed. Okay. Okay. The first and most important thing is on either side of a cheating relationship, a relationship where cheating has occurred, you need to make sure that the relationship is still healthy and still serving you, that your interaction with your partner is still healthy and not abusive. And you need to remember that if you are the person that did cheat, you are important, you matter, you're still a human being, you're still a possibility in the world, you could change everything about yourself, you could be whoever it is that you want to be. But also to look for why you wanted to cheat and be really honest about if you can resolve that with the partner you're with and if you can't you need to get out of there both for them and for you so that you don't keep cheating on them or being in a situation that is unhealthy for you if you're the person that is cheated on again you need to put your health and mental safety first and foremost yes you don't owe the other person any kind of self-damage and you need to think very deeply about and do everything you can to to think about what you can do to check if you feel like you are safe and in a healthy relationship 
relationship going forward and if you can find adjustments that can make that relationship safe for you. And at the same time, if the person that was caught cheating won't allow you those adjustments, you can either just leave or if you feel up to it, you can sort of warn them, explain how that's a problem and then leave. Again, that's one of those things you don't owe them. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that I do when I'm feeling comfortable and safe because I've become emotionally detached by the other person hurting me in some way. So they hurt me, I pull back, I explain how they hurt me and how they will lose me if they don't discontinue. Mm -hmm. But other people are hurt and continue to be hurt and you should you should not put yourself in jeopardy to coach that person relationships. That's not your job. Yep. It can help you get the relationship that you want but not if it's hurting you okay i'm good i had some others but okay. i'm i'm kind of tired and good and i think you guys should say some so uh, i i think you covered all the ones that i remember i i'm with sarah there i agree oh completely like that you got it <laughs> okay a couple more then <laughs> Okay. Cheating is breaking the rules of the relationship that you agreed to. Yes. You should never assume the rules of the relationship. And if you haven't discussed the rules of your relationship, there really isn't such a thing as cheating because the other person might not know that they aren't supposed to do the thing that you think that they're not supposed to do. Excellent so point. if you haven't done that yet and you're in any relationship at all, monogamous or non-monogamous, go talk to your partner about what counts as cheating. Definitely a conversation you need to have. So that's a really important one is that the definition of cheating is not fixed. It is not exists in an objective sense in the world. You're not cheating unless you violate the rules of the relationship that two people agreed to, and you need to get on agreeing to those rules. Because even if there are implicit agreements and you happen to be right about them, that's more of a small miracle than it is actually coherent. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you have to have, say it explicitly, <laughs> not just assume that your cultural understanding of what counts as cheating is identical. Because I for sure never thought going out to lunch with a friend was cheating, but my ex for sure did. Yeah. Right. And that caused a lot of drama. So yeah, so if you think you know what cheating is and you haven't discussed it, you don't. And that's not <laughs> good for anybody because you might get cheated on without them even cheating, which is a really weird situation, but can totally happen. Yeah. Yep. That's just a lot of headache. Yeah. I think that cheating is hard because it's not one of the ones where we can do easy triages. So like if listeners wanted to write, like, here's an explanation of how the how this went. Yep. Like, the situation that I'm in, what do you think? Like, we could go detective work that, but it's so complex, it's beyond any ability to just say, if X, then Y. If oh, Y, exactly. then Z, you know, we just can't. Right. I think you can only scrape the surface, at least helping listeners understand that it's their decision to make. It is. It is absolutely your decision to make either way. That it's not everybody else's decision to make. It is their decision to make. Yeah, if you haven't caught that this episode, I have said more than I've said in any other episode. This is just me because it's so freaking mm -hmm. personal, your response mm -hmm. to cheating, that I have, I can't just be like, this is how you should do like, exactly. This problem. And there, there is one more thing I did want to say while we were talking about, I, I forgot it and then I remembered it, while we were talking about deciding if you should stay or go on either side, is keep in mind the sunk cost fallacy. Yes, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So the, the sunk cost fallacy, if you're not familiar with it, says that people have a bias where we count all the resources we put into something as part of its current value, and that's just not the case. No. The easy financial example to start with is if you buy a restaurant that was valued at 250000 when you bought it and you put a million dollars into running it and then you go get an evaluation on it and it's still worth $250,000, you should not take out any more than a $250,000 loan against it, even if you're thinking, oh, but I lost a million and I need to recoup it because that, that value doesn't exist. It's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so what will happen is you'll have this relationship and maybe even the relationship is almost imaginary. Like you imagine this person the way you want them to be and then you find out that they're not and they've done this really painful thing to you and you think but if I leave this relationship I'll give you giving up four years of 
with my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, those are gone. Mm-hmm. You used them already. Yep. What you need to now check is, at this moment in time, if I had no other background, is the actual value of those four years. Because there's also, there's value in associating with someone like shared experiences as part of bonding, knowing the other person as part of bonding, shared property or shared responsibilities like children are part of bonding. So look at those things that are real assets, but divorce yourself from the amount of time that you yes. have, like the work that you've put in and say, if I'm just checking, starting fresh with this relationship, because you might have other relationships, but if I'm just checking, if tomorrow I didn't have this relationship, how much would I lose? And balance that versus the amount of work that, and safety and health you have and make that the decision and be really careful about making that the decision and know that you are going to accidentally add too much value and try and keep that in mind as best you can. Right. And on both sides, because yeah. a lot of times uh-huh. if you were cheating, maybe you weren't happy in that relationship, but you still feel, oh, and oh, I forgot that one. If you have cheated, don't feel like you owe it to the person that you cheated on to stay with them now that they've caught you. Like you did a bad thing and you have to make it up to them. <laughs> Absolutely. That's not helping anybody. No. It, Absolutely. It might, you might feel like it is, uh-huh. but you are still a human being who has the right to be out of a relationship, etc. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that as the high notes for yes. a first stab at one of the most complex phenomena in that that was a yeah, those were good high notes. Thank you, Sarah and Neil, for dropping Thanks, by Sarah. again. It's always wonderful having Thanks you. Thanks for show. having me. Remember everybody who is at or near or visiting Atlanta to check out Agape Atlanta on Meetup. Yes. Yes. Feel free to private message me on Facebook if you're on there or private message me on Meetup. I'm not quite sure how that works if you're not a part of the group because I just I don't know but if you're not able to do it through meetup feel free to send me a private message through Facebook under Sarah Marshall Neal that's quite a nice or offer through as within or through as within coaching oh yeah oh right of course yes you didn't yet you didn't promote that at the beginning either as within coaching uh, you got... I said co- yes as within coaching <laughs> you, you said coaching you didn't see what your place I didn't was say, or, yes, you have, that's yes. your website right as within.com that's not, yeah as within Oh, okay, see, I had that even wrong. Yep. So there we go. Ah. <laughs> All right, and I'll, I'll put that in the link, too. Awesome. All right, so yes. next week we are going to be doing good books to read. It's one of the most common questions that I get. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank See you, you next guys. time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.